Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are in the midst of Drama Central with your Cleveland Browns. I am really not going to waste a ton of time on this, guys. I have talked about it on two straight Twitch shows, which you can find at the OBR's Twitch. You can check out Twitter and other podcasts probably for more insights on this drama. I'm just I'm just not here for it, man. I don't want to spend a ton of time dwelling on it. It is... Going in the direction of Odell Beckham is is no longer going to be a part of the Cleveland Browns, at least. I don't know what they're going to do, if they're going to IR him eventually, if they're going to put him on every day's inactive list and have 52 essentially active players every week. I don't know, man. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, and it's just a disaster. It's a mess. The fact that OBJ, who I, again, understand why he's frustrated, the fact that he can't have conversations with his coach, who says that there has not been contact. There's some conflicting reports on all of that. Baker Mayfield says he'll put his pride aside and talk. I don't know, man. It seems to me the ship has sailed with that whole thing. I don't see a way in which it gets rectified. And the people who need to be held accountable for all of this, I think, avoided a lot of the topics that should have been discussed. And, you know, if you want to heap praise on certain people, that's cool. I'm, I'm not in line with that. I don't know the whole story. I don't think anybody knows the whole story with this whole thing. So we can speculate as much as we want. We can we can do that. You can blame whoever you want for the whole thing. You can do that. I don't think there's any denying that Odell has not handled this the right way. Um, even if his frustrations are warranted, I don't think he's handled it the right way, this way of going about freezing everybody out and... You know, that's that's the crux of it. I get like I said, I think Odell has every right to be frustrated with the way the play has been around him and you know how he's played, how the quarterback's played, how some of the play calling has manifested itself, even though I think the play calling's been fine. If you want to have that gripe, that's fine. But the way that the Browns were left to answer all those questions today was embarrassing. The way they, they I think some of them were answered were not ideal, but the way that this has left itself out in the public to hang out and dry, it's pretty gross. So I don't have anything else to say. Like I said, you can go to other pods and listen to 30 minutes of yammering on this thing, but I'm not I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to waste your time. I will note that two people return to practice who matter. Donovan Peoples-Jones returned to practice. That's a good sign for the depth of the wide receiver room. They will need him, obviously. And then Denzel Ward returned as well. Uh, for the injury list update that i like to try to give you on Wednesday, Clowney is still listed as... Um, I think he did not practice today. So the, these players didn't practice. Clowney with the ankle, hip, and knee... Jack Conklin with the elbow. He'll be out for the foreseeable future. A nasty dislocated elbow. Malik Jackson, who I thought played with a really poor power base, so seems like he's going through some things with the ankle. John Johnson's neck is worth paying attention to. Jarvis Landry with the knee and Tack McKinley with the groin. Some word about flu issues going around Berea, so that doesn't help the practice rate of everybody. They're in flux, man. I don't uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. They've gotten some bodies back. Andy Janovich returned um, from IR, so... They're getting some people back, like I mentioned with Denzel and Donovan Peoples-Jones, but everything is everything is up in the air. I, I have no clue what to tell you about what type of team is going to arrive in Cincinnati on Sunday, and I think your expectations should be pretty low. It could be a point in the season where 
everything swings and it's an addition by subtraction Ewing theory. If you're a Bill Simmons listener all those years or reader all those years could be that, or it could be a point where the locker room is so divided they can't find their way back. I do not know what to tell you on that one. So what I can do is shift to the preview that we do every week here behind enemy lines. We have Mike, Mike Santagato's coming, coming on the show here in just a second. He's a writer for the Bengals. He contributes to Locked On Bengals. He does some work for them. He does nice work on the Bengals' Twitter side. He's at Bengals underscore Sands, so you should follow him if you're curious about other AFC North teams. We're moving on, guys. It's on to Cincinnati. Let's talk about the Bengals. We'll bring Mike on now. Let's get over to that interview. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcoming in Mike Santagata. Mike covers the Bengals. He does a great job covering film content for them and is a film-based podcast. I like to bring in folks who do some similar things to me. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jake? I'm good, man. I'm good. Well, as well as I can in the cyclone of, of debauchery that's going on up in Cleveland. <laughs> we'll focus, though. I need my attention off of it, my friend. I need to talk about something else. So we're going to talk about your 5-3 and three Bengals. It was a season where, and again, this was somebody from the outside myself. I thought the Bengals could have a ton of fun. They could be really good and then and then maybe not quite be there yet, maybe be a year away. But I think it's proving that they have enough talent to really contend. Now, I know last week was tough, but you have enough talent to contend in this thing, this this division. So where where are you feeling? Like, I guess, how are you feeling eight weeks in? And then kind of as, as sort of concise as you can recap how the year has gone for, for Cincinnati so far. Yeah, I mean, eight weeks in, I'm feeling great because coming into the year, I had the same thought as you. I thought they could probably be a feisty bunch that goes, I don't know, eight and nine or something, maybe seven and ten. Vegas had them at six and a half wins, so they're about to break that. Um so feeling great, even though Jets' loss was frustrating for everybody involved other than New York fans. Uh, yeah, the season started with a win at home against the Vikings. It was an overtime and felt like uh, a nice uh, rookie kicker hits the game-winning field goal. There's a clutch pass to get up, set up, and but it felt like they're easing Joe Burrow in and that kind of hurt them against the bears. Cause they're still easing them in. They don't want to, they haven't taken the training wheels all the way off. So they lose to the bears week two. Then they rattle off a, f- a few wins, uh, lose an overtime game into, in, uh, against green Bay with crazy wins with like five missed field goals. And then the season really felt like it kicked off with the Ravens win just two weeks ago where it, 
because I was still feeling like they're just really a feisty bunch and they might hit eight wins. Then they dismantle the Ravens on the road too, mm-hmm. 41 to 17. And that was the moment that I actually thought, oh, this team might actually make a run this year. Like everything's hitting the, the free agent acquisitions are what they thought they would be. There's not really anybody that came in and they're like, ah, this guy's not fitting well, or he's not hitting the ground running. The draft picks, obviously Chase, <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get to him later, but Jackson Carmen's performing okay, not great, but he's not he's not a huge liability or abysmal at right guard losing any games by himself. He's a rookie, but he's fine. And I mean, on defense is the real surprising thing for a lot of people, myself included. I thought they had a chance to be above average, but prior to last week, they were a top five unit in DVOA and points against. Mm -hmm. So, and I think on film, they look like that. They shut down Lamar 17 points, but it didn't, it it didn't feel that close. (laughs) No, it did not. I watched a good portion of that one. It did not feel that close. So what, like what, their, what do you think happened with the Jets? I mean, they're 5-2 and two riding high. Is it, a, is, it a, is it a classic everyone's starting to fall in love with this letdown game, or is there some sort of bigger issue at play there you think that is sort of simmering with a loss like that? I think it's a little bit of a trap game. You're coming off the emotional win in Baltimore, the prove-it win. Mm-hmm. You kind of feel yourself a little bit. You got Cleveland next week, and even if the Browns and Browns and everybody aren't feeling good about themselves, this is a team that... Baker Mayfield, I believe, is undefeated against the Bengals, and he goes off against the Bengals. <laughs> I think of the game last year where he threw a Hail Mary with like 10 seconds left to Donovan Peoples-Jones to win that one. So I think the Bengals got it once of... in Cincinnati to close out 19, I think, off the top of my head. they they. Uh, oh, you're right. You're right. Think, Joe Mixon ran did. for like 180 yards or something. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I remember that now. But Baker has played pretty well against Cincy, so I think think you're right right on with that. Maybe classic look-ahead game type of thing. But there were still chances to win the game, right? I mean, like that whole – it was a fluky penalty at the end, if I recall. I haven't really rewatched it yet. (laughs) Yeah, um, I will say the Jets probably deserve the win. I think that uh, defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo had – he made an adjustment at halftime. They were running some zone pressures, some fire zones, some creepers, and mm-hmm. they were working really well. Uh, Mike White was two of six for an interception and eight yards. And then he just stopped doing them, and he just sat back showing cover three, playing cover three, showing two man, playing two man. And, I mean, almost any quarterback that's made the NFL can beat that. I mean, maybe they felt like Zach Wilson wouldn't take the check down in rhythm like Mike White was but you had to make that adjustment at some point and never did. So to give up 34 points to the jets and a little bit of fluke stuff, uh, uh, tried to throw a screen pass to chase and it gets intercepted on the hopefully game winning drive from Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. So they give the ball back in good field position for the jets. And then, yeah, the penalty, it, Mike Hilton goes to hit, um, I don't even remember Ty Johnson and he's about, waist high at the point of contact but ty johnson meets him with head to head at at his waist he's bent down all the way down to his waist and they called rough or uh, helmet to helmet hit on the defender but mm. to me that's when it was third and 11 or something it was like a one yard pass that was gonna be fourth down ball going back to cincinnati with a two minute warning i think still or at least a timeout and it felt like there's still a chance here the Bengals could win and then you throw that flag that ended the game 
Yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's again where those those games where you 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 just kind of kind of pack it in through portions of the game and, and and then you're you're up against the wall and it's like what could go wrong to not give us the chance to win this game. NFL's weird like that. I talk about all the time how I, I think home field advantage is disappearing and the NFL's more motivation business than anything else where teams rally around the nobody believes in us stuff or there's games where you know teams are clearly looking ahead or it's a game where they think they're supposed to win. You know, I have I think Detroit on the schedule earlier this year had the chance to be that way. And you know, the Browns have Detroit at some point in the next few weeks too. But that Jacksonville game, the Thursday night game, right, was another one where mm-hmm. if they score, Jacksonville gets in before halftime. It's got that same vibe to it. But they've overcome, they persevered, and I expect them to not let that derail the season. I would imagine they're looking at this Cleveland game ahead of their bye week as the most important game of the first half of the season. I think they're going to play good football. I'm curious about Zach Taylor. Is it, it, it with Zach? I, we know he struggled his first two years. Um, maybe he's had three. Is this year four or year three for Zach? This is year three, right? This is year three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, do you think it's like now he finally has the Jimmy's and Joe's or do you, I mean, I'm curious what Cincinnati's perspective of Zach is like, is it a, he is a guy we think can be the future of this organization as a head coach leader, um, and this turnaround is in large part because he's more comfortable now and he's doing more of the things that curtail to his players, all of that. Or do you think it's just, Hey man, he's got healthy. Joe is back. He's got Jamar. Now he's got some free agent acquisitions and that's leading to this thing. I'm just kind of at, from an outsider's perspective, curious about Zach on that regard. Yeah, this, uh, he's always been a pretty good leader. Um, Sorry, we just talked about how they won like week 17, 2019 in a lost season while they had the number one pick. And mm-hmm. I mean, you get your guys to play hard for you week 17 when you have like two wins. That's he's always done a good job with that stuff. The questions come, in my opinion, situational mm-hmm. type play calling. Sometimes that's an issue. Uh, and sometimes uh, I think he's getting it now, but he was it felt like last year he kind of struggled to mix together the spread stuff with some of some of the zone running. And this year they bring in Frank Pollock, install a whole wide zone under center system. And now he's able to run that and run the spread LSU type stuff. And it's kind of starting to finally come together. So you're starting to see him start to actually have a pretty good scheme in place. And so I'm look at, I look at that and I think, okay, that's that's good. I still think there's a little bit of the uh, situational stuff. There's calling like quarterback sneaks on second and one and they don't get it and then you run a fullback dive on third and one and it's – I don't know. The, another time going into the uh, end zone, Jesse Bates had an interception last week, at, fell down at the one-yard line, and they tried to run inside zone at Quinn and Williams twice. It's like that's the one guy you don't want to run at at this just defense. <laughs> Uh, so there's a little bit of that stuff. He's just a young coach. So a lot of the stuff that I think I complain about just comes with experience and he has a lot of the natural type leadership and he has a pretty good mind for the game. So I feel pretty confident. I don't think low chance he's gone after this year, even though he seemed to be on the hot seat to start the year as one of the top coaches to, I think he was one of the number one through three, I don't know, uh, Vegas odds for first coach to be fired. And now he's off the list. And he was on the coach of the year list last week, but probably not anymore. (laughs) It's a, it's a capricious league. That's for sure, man. Um, well, Mike Brown too is, is noted to be more patient than most. So I, even if the perception is hot seat, it's like, is it really though? Because 
you know, he, he'll give guys a chance, and that's credit to him. Could be a credit, sometimes could be a detriment, you never know. But he's watched the rest of the AFC North be as consistent as possible with the leadership in place, and it's like, I, I respect that because then you have the opposite end of the spectrum that Cleveland is trying their best to break here and doing a relatively fine job at it, uh, even with the drama that's going on right now. That's like what everybody's trying to find. So I was curious about Zach. So let's shift over, talk offense. Offense is playing... You know they're playing pretty good football. I don't I don't know the DVOA rank off the top of my head, but I know that they're in at least the top seven as far as points for top half of the league in in yards, all that stuff. It's a talented group. Joe's come back. He seems to be getting into that rhythm again, and 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 it helps that he's got his boy Jamar. I mean, let's let's just kind of focus on Joe though. Where do you think he sits now? Eight weeks into the year after he came back from an ACL, pretty quickly, right? I think he's. Sitting to something like uh, 22, look at the stats, 2,215 yards, 20 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Pretty solid numbers for halfway through the year. I mean, if you're trending toward 40 touchdowns in your second year in the NFL, <laughs> coming off a real injury, you're doing something right. So I'm curious if like, the perception he's playing as well as the numbers tell us he is here. Yeah, I think so. He's not having the sophomore slump, which is awesome. That's that's always a fear, especially yeah. coming off an injury. Um, didn't even start that slow. He started off pretty well, but I mean, lately they've really kicked into high gear 30 plus points in the last three games. Joe himself, he looks better than last year. He's already got all of his pocket presence, his movement, all that stuff is back. He's, I mean, he was really good at that in college. I think to start the year, there was a little bit of apprehension just with the knee, but now he's better than ever. Uh, the deep ball is hitting. And I think a lot of that has to do with Jamar chase, but He's also thrown a few to T. He's he completed one to CJ Uzoma against Marlon Humphrey. Not afraid to throw it deep. Uh, not afraid to test anybody if they give him single coverage. He's really good ball placement. And I mean, the arm strength thing is the elephant in the room where it's it's not great. I don't think it's terrible. It's not something that'll stop. It's not Chad Pennington like, but he's clearly not a Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, and that's actually where some of these interceptions come. Is he still tries to force a he's falling backwards and he still tries to force a ball deep downfield or into a tight window. It's like you have to have a good platform to make that throw, Joe. And that'll come. Still young. I think this was only his eighteenth game in the NFL, so he's still figuring everything out. Um I mean, the whole group is young. I could say that for almost everybody. But yeah, he's figured everything out. I think he's better than last year. He's just very smart, very good quarterback type stuff, the pocket movement, uh, decision-making, ball placement, all that is great. Uh, okay athleticism, he'll burn you if you play two-man and he can run or yeah. they don't really run any quarterback design stuff except sometimes a quarterback draw from empty just if you vacate every linebacker. So, Well, what's okay. let me ask you this, Mike. What's, what's sort of the offense's identity with Joe? Because I look at the data Sports Info Solution puts out I, I know they're going to be an 11 personnel team. They're fifth in usage in that. And I don't know if they've updated here for week eight yet. Uh, usually they get to that on Thursday. But this is just what the raw data tells me. So I'm, so I'm sort of curious because they, they rank toward the bottom in a lot of things that are tendency-based. They don't run a bunch of no huddle. They're 26th in the league in that. 22nd in shotgun percentage. 26th in motion usage. 31st in play action snaps. And, and 28th in RPO. So... The thing that stands out is that they they lead the NFL in short dropback percentage. Is it an offense predicated on now reads for Joe? Like I'm I'm just kind of curious, what is the identity you think, uh, and, and then like how are they finding the success in the passing game? I think some of that 
came early earlier in the year and teams started they still getting empty a bit but a lot of the now type reads the one step drops the quick threes from empty shotgun that came earlier in the year it seems like they're starting to get a little bit more of the motion wide zone under center and they're they'll always play plenty of shotgun with it so it's a lot of drop back there is still plenty of quick game quick one step drop stuff and I mean, the three-step go ball to Jamar Chase is uh, a staple of this offense. Uh, but yeah, the identity is just 11 personnel. When they get under center, they're going to be a little bit of that wide zone type team, like a, like the Rams where uh, Taylor is from. And then when they get in shotgun, they're a little bit more spread LSU. And there is plenty of those now reads, one-step drops and things like that. But they'll also just run normal drop-back concepts to go with it. Um, I think the Packers really put a little bit of a fork in the uh, real quick game because they started playing their safeties at about eight yards and just squatting. So <laughs> there was seven guys in the short and intermediate area of the field and they're an empty, so they couldn't really take any th- long developing plays. So they put a little bit of, they, they threw a wrench in uh, the Bengals plan because what you were saying earlier was that was what they were going into the Packers game. And then the past couple weeks, they've been a little bit more, varied uh going under center running some wide zone and then also still doing some of that you talked about the uptick in wide zone that means joe mixon gets a little more involved and i think things that are running back friendly how's joe playing this year back to his usual self is it is it more p ryan behind him or is chris evans get a little more pass game off like fill me in on the running backs how they've been handling and then what the usage looks like yeah i think mixon's been great just because he has been pretty much ever uh great in wide zone he's really good at getting his foot down and going north um behind him it's p ryan for sure and i mean evan's got a little bit of play in detroit but then he hurt himself so it's kind of hard to say well maybe he's gonna have a little bit more but who knows because he ended up getting injured and sometimes that launches you back down the depth chart uh and p ryan great pass protector that's what they really like to use him on. Run him a little bit. He's a big ball, bowling ball. and uh, But Mixon's the feature. Uh, probably 70% usage for him, I think. I don't have the number in front of me, but that's what it feels like. Had the injury, so it might be lower if you check something like snap percentage. He had the ankle injury. He didn't miss any games, but he was very limited the first week and kind of limited the second week. And now he had almost all the rush attempts last week and played plenty of snaps. So... Probably see 70% Mixon, 25% P. Ryan, and maybe a little bit of Chris Evans, but I would expect P. Ryan to be the second guy. You look at the wide receiver group, I think, you know, I talked about this to Browns fans. I thought Arizona has as good of a four-man group to run their 10 personnel like they do. I think as far as a three-man group and then what we've seen from C.J. Ozoma has come on like crazy this year is now a, a really top, I don't know, top third of the league, maybe even higher now, a group of skill players. So this is kind of your platform. Talk about the three, Tyler, T, and Jamar, and then kind of, if you can, touch on how CJ's improved. And if they do rotate a fourth receiver onto the field, who gets those snaps as well? Yeah, Jamar is having an awesome rookie season. He, uh, just this past week, is once you beat Marlon Humphrey for 200 yards, you're going to start getting the number one wide receiver treatment. So they started shading safeties towards him and playing stuff like that. So that's how he only ends up with 30-something yards. But he would have had two touchdowns if he didn't drop one. Um, really, really strong 
receiver. He's fantastic on deep balls. He can vary his speed, which is something that really messes with cornerbacks. Has that extra gear to hit and separate towards the end. Late hands, so they don't know when the ball's coming. A lot of stuff like that. He's underrated after the catch, and I thought that in college too. He's just really strong. His legs are like tree trunks, so he can push through a lot of contact. Um, definitely the number one type guy you want to look for. X receiver. He's the they ISO him and three by ones things like that. You know he's he's the feet, he's the number one wide receiver. T is a guy they run some isolation routes with him. They're I feel like they're still trying to figure out what they want to do with him since Jamar is taking all the deep stuff. Uh, but good in the intermediate. He's got good hands. Can catch the ball away from his body. He's a ball winner. Uh, put the ball up and just this past week he caught the ball over top of some cornerback I don't remember the name of. Uh, for a big gain. He's a, he's a, he got injured just, just like Mixon, but he missed a week or two. And then, uh, just started coming back. He just had a good game, had 15 targets against Baltimore. We didn't turn him into much because there, it's a lot of contested targets, but I think he's a good player. I thought I'd see more improvement, but I still think he's a good player and he's, he's just a six foot four ball winner. Uh, and a good one at that. Tyler Boyd, one of the best slot receivers in the league. Not too much to say. He's short area quickness is great. He's a type of guy. Put it, if he gets matched up with a linebacker, he does a really good job of creating separation and making easy throws for Joe. Uh, not getting the type of volume to have some big volume season, but I think he's still the same guy. CJ Uzoma, I thought was going to regress because he's coming off an Achilles tear, but modern medicine, he came back better than he ever was. He, uh, yeah, he's working downfield a lot, not just underneath sitting in zone stuff, but beat it. He beat Marlon Humphrey in man to man coverage down the field about for a, like a 40, 50 yard touchdown, uh, on a corner post. So I would say that's he, the biggest surprise development. We knew we had a pretty good feeling. Jamar chase was going to be really good. Maybe not this good, this quick. He's been a revelation, which, you know, cool. It's going to happen. He's a stud, but we knew we had a good feel who T Higgins was and we know Tyler Boyd can play, but this, this element from CJ changes things for this offense, right? Like it really changes the, the ability to, to stress every single portion of the field. Yeah. And he can block too. Like you, he lines up in line and he'll, he'll take a guy. He, he beat up on Daniel Hunter week one. He, not like a George Kittle, but he, he, don't underrate his blocking because he's not just a guy you split out wide. Uh, they like to keep him in line and chip and block or pass pro everything with him. He's a do it all tight end. And yeah, that very surprising for me because I thought he was going to end up splitting with Drew Sample because he's coming off the Achilles and everything. And I mean, Drew Sample seemed to regress, but CJ also took a huge step forward. And then if they have a fourth guy come on, I think it's typically odd and tape, but you could see Stanley Morgan or Mike Thomas and, well, Mike Thomas caught a touchdown against the Browns last year, but none of these guys. Auden Tate's a big, big guy. He's a big ball winner, kind of like T, mm-hmm. but he's very slow. <laughs> he's he's Those Florida like, State days didn't lie. He's not a fleet of foot guy, <laughs> but he's huge. You're right. Yeah, he's like 6'5 and long, but he's just, yeah, he runs like a 4'8 or something. And it's some people want him on the field more, but it's just like there's just so much you can do with him. Like you can't have him going deep that often. Then you're just putting contested balls up and hoping your giant wide receiver can win them. Talk about the offensive line. That's where, you know, you spent, you spent way too much of your time in the off season. I'm sure as most who covered since he did debating who they should draft, 
do they need to go get this left tackle, Penesul? Like, it, has it turned out that the decision not to take the O line early, you know, the additions that they've had, has it worked out to be a decent enough group in your opinion? Um, I think the stats tell us yes, but kind of curious if you think that they're working out and like, is there some future? I mean, Jonah's the future. Jackson Carmen seems to be the future. Um, is Trey Hopkins coming along yet? Touch on those guys and, and tell us sort of how the feel of the O-line has been this year. Cause that's where it's like, if everyone saw it falling apart for Cincy, it was the O-line could not handle it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, as a unit, I'd probably still consider them below average, even if metrics don't say that. I think that Joe Burrow is a fantastic guy at making his offensive line look better than they are with pocket movement. And Joe Mixon is fantastic pre line of scrimmage cut stuff to make the their blocks right. Overall, I do think they're a below average unit. I think Jonah Williams is pretty good, though. I think he's a franchise left tackle. I kind of thought that last year. You just need to see him healthy and just as good as he always has been. Not He's the best member of the offensive line, and the guy next to him, Quentin Spain, has actually come on. He's probably the second best player on this offensive line, maybe third behind Riley Reef, who's just a solid right tackle. Not too much to say. He's the same guy who was in Minnesota. Solid. He can get beat by like a Miles Garrett, but he'll he'll handle business for the most part. The issue does come at center where Trey Hopkins, a lot of Bengals fans coming into the year, thought this guy's solid. He's fine, kind of like Riley Reef. And he's been bad. <laughs> he's been a major liability at center. Uh, pro- probably, yeah, the worst member of the offensive line. That's the thing to attack. He's never been great in one-on-one blocking situations, but it's been worse than usual. He's given up multiple sacks this year, which as a center, that's not something you want to see. <laughs> um, he hasn't been great in the run game. But his snaps are good. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get it, man. I get it. I get it. It's um, yeah, right. Go ahead. I'll just, keep, yeah, keep right going. guard Jackson Carmen. Uh, he's a rookie and he can get beat, but I don't think he's been as bad as Trey Hopkins. I think there is plenty to be excited about. He just misses his hand placement. He's just not refined. He, he moved from left tackle to right guard, so a lot of this makes sense. Misses his hand placement kind of often. He sometimes puts himself in bad position, uh, plays a little high sometimes, but all stuff that can be corrected. You can see the athleticism and power that he has too. So, And if you're not a liability, I think that's okay. I think that is okay. You just got to be average. Continue to say it. If you can find a quarterback who can navigate through the muck and stay calm in the chaos, if you're average in there, you can – you can make it. So that's why they're they're clearly making it happen well enough so far. Let's switch over to defense. Talk about the DC. I heard you mention Lou's name earlier. Talk about what he's doing philosophically to help this team, and then kind of what is the base? Are they a 4-3 base? I think they are, but I'll let you talk about what they like to do. Base downs are actually 3-4 now. Uh, they play a lot of bare fronts, like to get nice. three... Yeah, they like to get their three defensive tackles on the field. DJ Reader usually had a head-up nose, and then Larry Ogunjobi at three-tech and BJ Hill at the other three-tech, and then have Hubbard and Hendrickson outside of them on base downs. And I'm sure that they'll like to play the bare front and get a, get a lot of big bodies on the field against Cleveland and Nick Chubb. So you'll probably see a lot of 3-4. They get into the 4-3 against the Ravens, and I think that's just because they like to have second-level guys to flow with that type of run game. Um, yeah, DJ reader, fantastic nose tackle. I think he has a case to be the best player on the defense. Although I still think Jesse Bates is fantastic. Even if he, uh, his PFF score, things like that, aren't saying that he's elite. They're saying he's pretty good. 
I still think he's the same player he was last year. It's just he's not put in single high and making those sideline to sideline type plays. They're playing a lot more varied coverage this year. Uh, it's hard to pin down what coverages they like because they, they really split everything up. They play just about every coverage shell. Uh, they don't blitz a ton, but it feels like Lou understands Lou Anarumo, the defensive corner, understands blocking schemes, and his blitzes seem to have been hitting home this year, which is a complaint I had going into this year. That prior years he didn't seem to have good paths, and free the cornerback blitzing would be picked up pretty easily. And this year they're getting free runners and speeding up quarterbacks, getting sacks and pressures that way. Uh, linebacker wise. I think they're having career years, and I think a lot of that has to go to DJ Reader because he's eating up double teams and letting them play clean. Uh, Logan Wilson had a terrible day last week. <laughs> gave up 190 yards, according to PFF, and I think I could believe it watching the film. But he has four interceptions on the year. Uh, he's a ball magnet. He just he can rip the ball out of guys' hands. He, he does a great job following quarterbacks' eyes and getting in passing windows, just things like that. They like to run a blitz with him where – he kind of fake blitzes where he comes up, he pops the center or the guard, whoever he's over, and then he drops back and tries to get in the window of the quarterback's eyes, and he has two interceptions doing that. Also gave up a touchdown on that blitz, but that's all right. <laughs> I'll take two interceptions. Um, Jermaine Pratt has very strong arms. He's the we- he's usually the will linebacker. Uh, does a pretty good job with his robot technique which is when you on play action you come up and then Mm -hmm. you see it's play on the run action then you turn around and sprint he's picked up chase claypool stride for stride doing that which was really impressive to me i posted the clip of that whenever that happened week three or something so he's got good athleticism used to be a safety so that makes sense he's a good tackler got an interception last week i think he's a solid linebacker akeem davis gaither is a fast guy they like to bring in on nickel downs playing off-ball linebacker, stone hands, though. I think he's dropped 10 interceptions <laughs> in his career. It's just, I think I'm beyond it. It's so weird because his dad's a wide receiver coach for Army. So I'm like, <laughs> he's a wide receiver coach. You probably got like four jugs machines at home. Keep working on this. It's either you got it or you don't. He don't got it. I remember scouting him. <laughs> it was not there for him. But he's a great athlete. You're right about that. Gets in the passing window. He just doesn't make the play. He's always dropping the interception. <laughs> yeah, like I mentioned, Jesse Bates deep. He's awesome. I think Von Bell is – he's showing he can be a little bit more varied. Because coming in the year, I thought box safety type. Uh, but he's he can play a little bit of deep coverage. He can get taken advantage of too. But he can he can play deep coverage. He can play underneath. Uh, big hitting guy. He's kind of a ball magnet just like Wilson. So two guys to look for to make – to make the interception or to force the fumble or recover it, all that. Uh, if you throw the ball to Keem Davis Gaither, I assume it's going to be dropped, but Hey, I mean, <laughs> maybe he could tip it and catch it. Uh, <laughs> um, Trey Hendrickson got the big contract. I think it was kind of poo pooed at like, why'd you sign this guy? And he's been really good. Uh, even I thought well, he's pretty good. Like he's not bad. He's not even average. Like, he's a solid, good player. And if, you're a left tackle and you can't handle speed. He can beat you. And he has, I think, six, six and a half sacks this year. I don't have it in front of me. Um, getting plenty of pressure. He's been the only consistent pressure guy on the team, even if I love DJ Reader and Larry Joby. They're a little bit more in the run game. They like to <laughs> beat up on some 
interior offensive lineman, although they'll have their hands full this week because the Browns have possibly the best interior offensive line in the league. So that's actually the matchup I'm most excited for is DJ Reader, Larry Ogunjobi, and BJ Hill. And Josh Tupo sometimes comes in against the uh, Betonio, Treader, and Teller combo. Uh, just to finish up, Sam Hubbard, solid run stopper. Chidobe Awuzie at the number one outside corner. He's had a phenomenal year. Uh, at one point, he was third in coverage grade, despite being number three or so in targets, according to PFF. And I think he's playing really well. He's physical, which is something he wasn't really in Dallas. <laughs> he's like There was a screen pass, and he got through three wide receivers and made a tackle for a loss. I was like, whoa, that's, that's awesome, man. <laughs> The other cornerback is Eli Apple, and he's Eli Apple. He's been better than he's ever been, but like he hasn't ever been that good. Like he's okay. Uh, he's come on a little bit, but still, he's a he's a little bit of a liability still. Mike Hilton always been a little bit of a liability in coverage, but man, he's fun to blitz and stop the run. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't need too much of an introduction since he's been playing in the AFC North for years. Just moved to from Pittsburgh to Cincinnati. And uh, sometimes they'll bring in Ricardo Allen as a third safety. I like to run a little bit of three safety sets. Usually they just kind of move Bell down as a dime linebacker in that situation. Mm-hmm. But sometimes uh, sometimes they'll get a little funky, have all three safeties deep and try to confuse quarterbacks. But didn't haven't seen it last week or the, the week before. But I have seen it. They, they like to get a little bit funky. Uh, Lou is just a varied coordinator. He kind of runs a lot of everything. What's so okay if if they're if they're being beat? What what is the issue for them? Is it not being an aggressive, uh, playing with an aggressive approach? Is it is it uh, certain portions of the field give them trouble? I'm just kind of curious what you think has allowed them to become fifth in DVOA, and then you know how if when things have unraveled or they haven't played well defensively, how have teams attacked them and give them some trouble? Yeah, this past week, I don't know if it was just underestimating the opponent but they yeah they were just kind of getting into their coverage and playing it and letting mike white beat them that way so that wasn't great uh and usually if a guy's being beat i would say it's eli apple but last week it was logan wilson and isolating uh running backs on him to try to run away he's he's not the fastest guy he's not slow but if a, a running back can get on his toes and break away thinking i don't think kareem hunt's healthy um i don't think do the browns do that very often with nick chubb try to run anything like uh check release through the middle of the line or any choice route type stuff the problem is the quarterback doesn't find those routes very well so <laughs> oh that'd know, be great that's a different conversation for a different day but you know they they'll get him the ball sometimes under center swings or um, here, here and there, but they they don't. It's not a huge focal point of what Baker tries to do. Now, could that change? Sure, but uh, they'll screen game you to death. They'll they'll run six, seven, eight screens a game. But you know, for the most part, they don't organically find those routes all too often, in my opinion. I got gotcha. you. Okay, yeah, that that's one thing I'd be worried about because that's really what killed them last week. Although the screen game also was very positive for the Jets. Two of them, or one of them got broken up by Sam Hubbard, did a good job knowing it was a screen and getting a hand in there. And another, uh, the other one, B.J. Hill, figured it out and turned him back away from his blockers into the swarm of defense. So they can stop the screen, but it is something that has kind of been a little bit of a heel, just running back, short dump-offs. And it's not that they miss a ton of tackles. It's just like they're not 
linebackers aren't there or if the defensive line doesn't do a good job of finding that screen and trying to redirect it they they just seem to struggle getting through those blocks uh could be explosive gains that way but it's nice to hear on my side that <laughs> they're not going to try to just iso up uh wilson with chubb or anybody too often and just break away that way because that was more frustrating than the screens for me um yeah yeah they won't they won't now if kareem was playing they do more of that but he is obviously not playing and they don't they don't love to throw the football to dearness johnson they could get demetric felton involved in that portion of the field but they haven't committed to many snaps for him so i don't know the browns offense is an absolute uh shit show right now i don't know what direction they're gonna go we will stop us there, though. You have been extremely insightful. You've given us all the details on both sides of the football, Mike. I know listeners of this pod now have a far better feel for Cincinnati and the game Sunday than they did before. So I thank you for that. Tell people where they can find you if they would like to follow more of your work. Um, either audio or written form is fine. Yeah, really just follow the, my Twitter account, Bengals underscore Sands. Uh, I promote just about everything on there. And I mean, if you're a Browns fan, I might follow this week, especially if you guys win, because I'll be posting a lot of clips from the game. And then, you know, if you don't want to keep following, you can unfollow. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could probably, if the game goes the wrong way, they don't want to see somebody, uh, you know, tweeting about the Browns loss, pointing out film flaws, because <laughs> there there will be plenty. Mike, we appreciate you again, man. Thanks for your time and, and, and your insights, bud. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that brings an end to today's episodes. Thanks to Mike again for joining us. Thanks to you guys for listening. If you were expecting more Odell Baker commentary, again, you can find that on our Twitch shows where we have been spending two straight nights talking about this guy and the situation, and I'm just honest, over it. I'm tired of talking about whether Baker's better without him. Uh, Odell's underutilized. Uh, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of talking about it. I think the Browns need to move forward uh, without him. I just, and it's, again, not... Not that I'm picking sides here. I'm just tired of, of the, the the drama and the thought process that goes into to deciphering whether the Browns are better or worse without him, whose fault it is, whose fault it isn't. It's over to me. I hope, I hope, hope, hope we can all move on from it because way too many uh, brain cells have been invested in thinking about that situation, in my opinion. So, again, you can find it in other places. I talked about it with Jordan Zerm the other night. You can check that out on Monday night. Uh, Monday's episode, I'm sorry. And then I talked to John Stephenson about defense yesterday. If you'd like to go check that out. If you can, if you care about the current Browns and the plays that, players that really matter, that's what I'm kind of trying to move on to here. We will have our Fridays with John Colosimo out for you tomorrow uh, and, and, and keep on schedule with all of that. We'll see what the weekend content brings us. But wanted to say I appreciate you guys listening to the show, downloading, subscribing, all of those things means the world to me. I always say that and I really do I really do mean it. So, appreciate you guys. Have a great Thursday and go Browns.